I mean, first thing that comes to mind is the fact that I started really thinking at 10 years old when I first started what I was going to do to become a race car driver. I wasn't just doing it. I was already envisioning it in a long, in a, in a, in a drawn out sense. I was, I was visualizing it. I was, you know, it's funny. I just interviewed Wim Hof just two days ago and he talks about just, you know, obviously the power of the mind and other things, but the mind and how if he visualizes something and can see it, he knows and trusts it's going to happen. And so, um, I think that what happens when we start to visualize things is that we start to believe them, embody them. We can see ourselves doing it. Like it becomes, thoughts become things. This episode is brought to you by my friends at Very, the creators of the famous stand-up Veridesk and other office furniture. If you're like me, you're suddenly working from home. My best productivity tip is to set up a dedicated workspace. My comfy couch or the kitchen table so close to the refrigerator and snacks wasn't really working for me. So I recently set up a fully loaded home office setup using office furniture pieces from Barry, and now I've got a whole mission control in a separate room for my kids and the dogs ready to roll. Barry has everything you need to transform your home workspace, from desks, ergonomic chairs, and converters that transform any table in your home into a standing desk. Right now, you can save 10% off Very Home Office products with the code WFH2020. That's WFH2020. See the full collection and save at Very.com. That's V-A-R-I.com and use the code WFH2020 and check out to save 10%. Now let's get back to the show. Hi, I'm Danica Patrick, and you're watching Behind the Brand with Brian Elliott. Hey, everyone. I'm Brian Elliott. Welcome to another edition of Behind the Brand. I'm here with the incomparable Danica Patrick. Danica, welcome to the show. I usually ask my guests, how would you get this job? The first thing I wanted to be was a secretary. Then I wanted to be a veterinarian. And then I wanted to be a singer. And then I wanted to be a race car driver. Um, so at 10 years old, I started racing and that's when I thought I want to be a race car driver when I grow up. And so then I started to think contextually, what does that look like? And so I thought I'd go to college for engineering so I could learn how to work on my car. Mm -hmm. And then I realized as time went on pretty quickly, because within, um, seven years, I was already living in England racing and not in high school anymore. So, yeah. So you don't have to work on your own car. They do it for you. So <laughs> turns out, turns out. So let's go back. So you're at age, age 10. So you're age 10. You know that you want to be a racer, a race car driver. Um, what did your parents think about that? Were they supportive? Of course. My, uh, my dad used to race growing up. Um, he raced up until my sister was born. Um, so he raced from, you know, being like a young teenager into his, uh, yeah, so I don't know, I guess 10 years-ish. He raced snowmobiles, midgets, motocross, and it was actually my sister who really wanted to race. And so we did it as a way to spend time together as a family. Um, but it uh, it wasn't it wasn't something my sister loved, um, but it was something I did. So I kept going. Um, you know, she continued to be my biggest supporter. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I... Racing has been in the family for a really long time. And so my dad just understands it. So then of course that leads to understanding how to make the go-kart go fast and 
how to teach me things. So um, I suppose if my dad was, uh, you know, a, a lawyer or something like that, or um, some other job that has nothing to do with um, sports, but definitely not motorsports, it probably would have been a different outcome. Yeah. Talk to me about signals, because I think signals are all around us telling us, you know, things we could potentially try and be successful at. Um, I think sometimes the signals are subtle. I remember, so I have daughters, well, I, have, I, have, I have sons and daughters, but I remember my daughter telling me uh, when she was about seven that she wanted to play for the U.S. national soccer team. And I was like, right, okay, sure. She's like, no, no, I'm serious. Like um, she was drawing plays in the sand. She was getting mad at her friends who are playing rec ball because they wouldn't pass correctly. I'm like, oh, okay. Like you're ready for club. Like you're ready to step it up. And those are signals that she was more driven and dedicated. Um, she was a baller and she, you know, she was on a path. What kind of signals can you identify early on that sort of led you to the path where you're on now? I mean, first thing that comes to mind is the fact that I started thinking at 10 years old when I first started what I was going to do to become a race car driver. I wasn't just doing it. I was already envisioning it in a long, in a, in a, in a drawn out sense. I was, I was visualizing it. I was, you know, it's funny. I just interviewed Wim Hof just two days ago and he talks about just, you know, obviously the power of the mind and other things, but the mind and how, if he visualizes something and can see it, he knows and trusts it's going to happen. And so um, I think that what happens when we start to visualize things is that we start to believe them, embody them. We can see ourselves doing it. Like it becomes, thoughts become things. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, there's a lot of woo-woo talk about, you know, manifesting and all that. Oh, I can but, go all the way down the woo-woo path if you want. That's where I live. Well, I sort of live there too, I guess. And, and it's not a new concept. You know, um, I, I know someone named MLK who said, I have a dream. Uh, I can think of Walt Disney who dreamed of, you know, this amazing theme park when there was nothing in uh, Southern California like it. I can think of... Uh, Einstein, you know, all the greats. And um, it comes down to, yeah, thoughts are these seeds to action. And then when you begin to visualize a path. I don't think life is, life is really freaking hard. But I don't think it has to be. It's just being human. Being human is hard, but life is actually easy. Does that make sense? Being human Yeah, break it down. Break it down for me. I like it. I like where you're going. Because we have feelings, because we take things personally, because we have our own inner wounds, because we get attached to things, because we're avoidant or we're codependent. Um, you know, our parents make us into this ball of, you know, complication, and their parents made their parents that way, and so we can't quite track where it came from, right? It's really passed down ancestrally, mm -hmm. and. You know, it makes it hard to, to unpack it and decode it because it's it's not even the, the origin isn't even here. Um, so I think being human and, you know, also the cellular memory that we have from 
um, our ancestors. I mean, carry stuff with it that we don't even understand. We can't, be, we don't understand quantum physics. We don't understand the metaphysical. It's too, we can't see it, so we can't believe it. I mean, this is the, this is the crux of religion, right? You can't see it, so how do you believe it? And so um, I think being human is hard because we so desperately want answers, justification, verification, um, but life is actually much easier than that. If we can just look at life as a game, a dance, energy, balls of energy, just playing and dancing, and we just understand that everything is happening for us and not to us, and then if we can work on that sort of more, um, that mind, that mental uh, realm of thoughts become things and knowing what we want, I, there's almost barely, most anything I've ever wanted, I've got. The only thing that holds me back from things that I want is a grasping. When I can let go of something and set an intention and let it go and just think, so in business, I'm really good at this. Like, I just go, oh, I want that. Like, that was me with um, racing. I'll, you know, become a race car driver one day. Or, you know, when I started my wine, um, which wasn't even the Danica Rose, it was Somnium before that. And Somnium means dream in Latin. Because in 2006, I was standing on a knoll in the middle of Napa Valley holding a glass of wine at 10 a.m., going, man, so cool if I could have them, something like this someday. And I started imagining it. And then two years later, I bought a property and then I make wine. And so all, but I didn't really get attached to it. I was like, oh, this would be so cool if I could have something like this. And so I started visualizing it. And so being human is hard, but life doesn't, life really isn't hard. It's not complicated. It's simple. It's all energy and it's all intention. It's all believing in something and visualizing it. And those thoughts become things. I love that. Um, what made me, well, a few things came to mind when you were saying that, uh, you may not know my personal backstory and this is not about me. This is about you, but, um, I'm adopted and I just recently found my, uh, biological family. Wow. And so I've been thinking a lot about nature and nurture. And so I totally agree and can co-sign this idea that a lot of this, um, stuff is is built in. It's, you know, it's baked in, it's in our DNA and it's somewhat unavoidable. I mean, we're, nurture is a thing. We, we can, um, we can grow out of patterns or bad habits. Um, but a lot of the stuff that we do and we don't know why is probably because of our DNA and that's just the way it is. Um, you know, thinking about someone like Wim Hof, who is like this human Marvel, mm -hmm. uh, who's trained himself, to be under extreme conditions. I would argue that some of that, or maybe most of that is DNA, that that's, you know, um, he's born with that, but also he's learned the nurture part. He's learned to train himself. So uh, that's what I was thinking about when you're saying that. And also um, I wanted to know, I mean, I've just watched you from afar and you seem like a very smart person, but, but when did you get so smart to figure out that life is simple. When did that happen? Like, give us some context. Was that at age 10 or was that at age 20? Or, you know, when did that, when did that sort of light bulb go on for you? I think I'm still trying to get myself to believe it. Mm -hmm. So that's through being 
you know, I would say that about, it was like probably 2014-ish, my girlfriends and I started to get a little bit more spiritual, a little bit more hippity-dippity, you know, we went to Sedona, we went on a Vortex tour, <laughs> we were taking pictures and thinking we saw orbs all over them, and we, so we started kind of getting into that world and, you know, seeing a psychic, and, and but the thing is, is that this has always been in me. Like always, I remember yeah. talking to psychic at 18, like wanting to know I bought like Linda Goodman's love signs books when I was a kid, you know, when I was 16 and could drive to Barnes and Noble. We used to go mm -hmm. to stores. And, um, and so I, for me, it's always been in there. Yeah. And, um, but it was a matter of kind of nurturing it, nurturing this um, unknown. And so I think that, We keep so damn busy with things to do, things we think we want. And honestly, I think one of the most dangerous things is that we're always with someone, right? We're always around people. So we're kind of catering or compromising. We don't really ever get to know ourselves, and we don't get quiet enough to hear, hear the knowing. Mm -hmm. resonate with you to hear the knowing yeah to let it arrive it's not like you hear words it's not like i hear words it's just like to sort of become aware of what you already know yeah i'm a believer in reincarnation and i believe that i believe in a conscious collective i believe in i believe that everything that's ever happened in the past and in the future exists in the quantum realm as an energy and that if we can get quiet enough to know these things. It's like how I've known certain things, how I've, how I've been able to do certain things, who knows, right? I think that that's the only way I can, you know, kind of break it down to seeing somebody and going like, oh, you're an old soul versus like, you're a young soul, right? Can't you tell? Right. Can't you yeah. tell when you see somebody and you're just like, oh, you're just a baby. Like you mm -hmm. might be like 50, but you're just a child, you know? Yeah. You see somebody who's seven and you're like, you're 80. Like, what is this? You know, how do you, how are you so calm and wise? And so I just think that, uh, I think that souls come in and they, they just have an evolutionary process. And so, um, but it's through reading a lot of books too. Um, it's through, um, watching YouTube videos, uh, listening to podcasts. It's, it's really, I have very insatiable mind to understand reality. And so, but I'm also not fixated on any one thing. Like these things that I think now I didn't think 10 years ago, but was I any, le anything, was I less than myself 10 years ago? No. Um, we're just kind of always evolving and uncovering and unpacking. And I think that if there's any point in time, 2020 is starting to unpack and unravel who we really are and what's really going on within us and out there in the world. And, um, and so I would say that this journey has been five or six years, pretty hardcore curiosity. Um, I think the very first question, as I've been rambling on, the very first question that really was like that, mm, like really forceful drive, dr like thrust into me starting to communicate this, not only just like within myself, but to other people and to start kind of expanding that way was I started asking people, what is God? 
Okay. And that's a very different question than who. Okay. And, and where did you, where did you uh, land on that as of today? As to my answer, um, that it's energy is that everything's energy, everything in the world is energy. Everything is vibrating. I have the most silly, I have the silliest of uh, examples usually to kind of articulate or uh, help people understand where, what the moment was that I'm like, oh, and my funny one, there's two little things. Understanding that everything vibrating and everything is energy. Uh, one is knives. So if you put your knife into a chopping block with the blade down, it dulls. You don't even use it, but it dulls. And that's just because everything is vibrating. And then there was also another example where it was in my uh, my place in Chicago and I had some chairs that like the bolts, I wasn't there, I'm not there very often. And the bolts underneath were un unscrewing. And like, I would come back and be like, wow. Or like I have a really cool uh, like metal chair that kind of looks like a spine with like ribs. And like the, the uh, there's three, three posts that come down that look like kind of like legs and uh, like bones and they were untwisting. And I'm like, how is this even happening? And I was like, cause everything is vibrating. Yeah. And so like things like that have made me go, wow, it's just not okay. It's like pretty simple. And then I interviewed Neil deGrasse Tyson and um, had got, and then got the confirmation that um, we're not even solid. We think right. we're solid cause we're in this third third um third dimension uh, third dimension density where yeah. we can feel like we have density to us but we're actually just a little bit a little mini tornado if you collected all of the people in the world and condense them down to actual matter it's about the size of like an apple he said so when you think about it like that you're like wow things just aren't as they appear and so um yeah, I'm not sure if I answered your question or if I just rambled. Like I said, I, I can ramble on this stuff forever. No, I like all that. And I've heard Neil's explanation of matter and and um, our place in the cosmos. And, you know, my mind gets blown every time. So um, it's, you know, it's not far-fetched or out there. It's, it's actually science. And well, so you did ask me what my answer was to what is God. And I was very quick to, like, give a quick answer. So I kind of want to know what you think after I say this real quick, but I basically just think that um, everything works on frequency. And so um, I just think it's the highest frequency. I think God is the highest frequency where no, there's nothing, no low vibe stuff exists, right? No negativity, no fear, no nothing, no density. It's just, it's just, it's the purest, purest of um, pure, pure love is the highest frequency. And I think that's what God is. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. I think um, to me, there's a lot of evidence, you know, um, we can look at science and we know that evolution is a thing. It happens. You know, we can witness it now, whether it's tadpoles into frogs, into fish or, you know, dinosaur evolution or whatever. But to me, um, everything is just works too well. Uh, so much in unison, the planets, I mean, that we know of, even in our solar system, perfectly spherical, perfectly working in unison. You're telling me that all plants, all animals, all insects and humans coexist. We don't have to water the plants outside. You know, the plants take care of themselves. The insects 
the animals, they know what to do to reproduce. And the other thing that's interesting to me is that there's no bad animals like animal. Like I, I love dogs. Um, I had a couple of retrievers that passed away uh, two years ago. We rescued a uh, little brother and sister um, puppies. They're now two years old. They're still kind of puppies in my mind. Mm-hmm. There's no bad dogs. There's no bad dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, everything is basically born good, I uh, including humans for the most part, unless you, you know, you have a something in the DNA and you're a sociopath, something happens. That's the anomaly. But basically people are born good. And so to me, that all points to there must be a grand designer, you know, uh, someone who is, has designed this and thought about this and it's organized in a way. It's just, I mean, my little human brain can't get around anything else except that it is, you know, someone's design. So when you say that, do you mean that you think that there's like a, a person or a entity or a, some, like explain what do you mean a designer? Yeah, I think there is God. And I also think the other evidence to me, and again, this is just, you know, my feeble thinking is that basically everyone all over the world from the beginning of time until now has basically been telling the same story. Now you could argue it's the, you know, it's the human condition. It's the, it's the human in us that's searching for meaning. I get that. Um, And there's probably a valid argument because we don't really have the empirical evidence that we're talking about to prove anything. But, you know, the fact that whether you're Buddhist or uh, Islam, Jewish, Christian, um, American, Indian, um, Greek, you know, look at all the stories. They're basically the same story, just told a little different way with slightly different characters. And to me, that's pretty interesting, you know, that it talks about a creator um, and there's this plan and uh, it's organized. And so that's, that's, that's also interesting and compelling to me. Mm-hmm. But I go back to- so we'll, we'll all have our perspectives and opinions and curiosities on this forever because yeah. I don't think that as humans, I'm not a hundred percent sure that we get to know the answer. And that is the mystery of life. Yeah. That's what keeps it interesting. I go back to, uh, I just want to underscore your signals. We talked about signals at the very start and it seems like you were getting signals your whole career, but maybe, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. It sounds like you were so focused on your career. Maybe it was that other stuff was on pause until you were freed up mentally um, to be able to explore who you are uh, or who you become. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, it's part of why I retired um, because I just didn't resonate with it all anymore as much. Um, I remember being at the track and just feeling like, I don't know, just felt like so, I am, look, I am a slit your throat, stab you through the heart, yell at you. Mm-hmm. my ground kind of girl like i i am not afraid of confrontation and um being direct at all um yeah. being aggressive and working really hard but i just kind of got like i got to a point where i just didn't like how it 
felt. It felt so, it felt like negative and sort of like conniving. And it felt like non, like so many things were lacking truth and, you know, it didn't feel authentic all the time. Like whether it was, you know, the treatment, like the attitude of the people working, like you could just yeah. kind of really start to sense that nobody was really maybe as happy as they should be. Right. And you, know, you could sense that, you know, people were maybe not treating me properly. And you're like, God, I just don't like this feeling. And um, then you started to understand too, like, then you're, you know, you're, you know, just the, the lack of authenticity sometimes with, you know, well, a lot of times with all the things that we had to do as drivers and, you know, I'm not just saying myself because I've always had really good sponsors, but you know, I think there's a, a lot of us that have to promote ones that aren't quite as interesting to us. Yeah. You got to play the game. You got to play the game. Play the game. So there's a lack of authenticity there. And so like all that started to feel really uncomfortable to me. Yeah. I mean, from this side of the camera, it just sounds like you, you're just growing up, you're maturing, you're figuring it out, you're getting smarter. And, you know, I think it's healthy to have the self-awareness when you grow out of something, you know, you do something for a while, you master it, uh, or you don't, whatever the case, and uh, you step into chapter two or chapter three. And I think I'd like to underscore that as a business lesson, or at least advice from my side of the fence. You know, I, I did a career uh, working for someone else. I worked for the studios. I was at, in, you know, basically Hollywood. And same thing happened to me. I became very um, disenfranchised with the um, egos and all the stuff that you can imagine goes on in Hollywood. Just wasn't my scene. And uh, so as I plotted my escape, I thought about, you know, what lights me up and what I wanted to do. And um, that's how I started doing what I'm doing now a decade plus two years ago. And I don't think I'm done. Like this is part of me, but I'm multifaceted, you know? Um, and I, you know, I love animals too. I love teaching. I love um, lots of different things. And I think it's okay and healthy for people to have several different interests um, and, you know, follow those signals, go with it. How, uh, how did, how do you know there's the signals, there's the signs that come along the way, there's synchronicities, there's mm -hmm. aha moments, there's coincidences. We can give it a million different words. Um, but how do you, how did you know inside of you beyond sort of signs along the way that this not only was a sign cohere, but right, then you did it and you're like, or you changed your job and thought, or tried something new and thought, wow, yes, this is it. Was it a feeling? Uh, definitely. Um, the signal for me is when I want to throw up. When I'm like physically sick, when I'm afraid, I get that fight or flight. And when that flight feeling comes, I know I need to flip the script and I need to, you know, run towards the exploding bomb or the, you know, barking dog or the knives coming my, whatever that is, you know, that's scary. I need to run towards it. That's my signal. Were you a stuntman? No, no, no. I, I was, I was in, I, I was on the brand marketing and strategy team of the movie, you know, the division that did movies, and um, mm -hmm. but. So you know, I also let me. I'm curious because um, uh, I get physical reactions to things, but it's usually when I'm about to sort of transform, like come to an awareness about something. Yeah. Like, 
if like something's been building, but it's not for me. Those, those aren't necessary that those feelings aren't about a change. It's just kind of about becoming aware of something, I guess. So I guess it's maybe similar. Um, yeah. How do you, I, how do you, I mean, yeah. How do you know? Do you know it quicker now? Is your, are you more familiar with this process? Yeah. It's like a spidey sense. I get like goosebumps on my neck or I feel bad. Like I just told you um, briefly that I'm adopted and um, I apologize to the audience that this is not about me, but I want to make a point here. And that is the time that I was um, that I least wanted to share this news came at the most inopportune moment. So I was hosting a live event in front of 500 people. I was a moderator while I was the host. And I was hosting my good friend and mentor, Seth Godin, who's an author. And like the godfather of marketing, Seth is ridiculously popular. And everyone had paid a lot of money to come see Seth. And at the end of this like two-hour workshop that he did a talk, um, I wanted to thank him. I wanted to thank him because he gave me this piece of advice about... Um, basically I was playing the victim for a long time um, uh, according to my circumstance, which he didn't know. And he told me, he said, listen, Brian, um, I have bad news. And this was a time, this was like 2008, the economy was in the tank. This was, you know, by the way, I left my big job, salary, health benefits, everything. Um, fourth quarter, 2007, uh, and so you can imagine, like I had all these best laid plans and they all just went away. And I called up Seth and I said, what am I, what have I done? What am I going to do? And he said, bad news, Brian, there is no Prince Charming in this story. There are no rescue boats. No one is coming. So what's it going to be sink or swim? And I was like, oh shit, <laughs> like, okay. All right. I got you. And that, that was like the best advice I'd ever gotten. And he had no idea too, that I'd just gone through sort of a really traumatic experience with, you know, my, my family and, and finding them because I found my mom and um, I'll just tell you, she didn't want to be found. And that was um, a surprise. And, uh, but him saying that really helped me reframe my attitude and really turn it into a positive, like, okay, uh, like you said, this isn't happening to me. This is just what's happening. And so now I get to choose what I do next. And so I'm going to turn, you know, this into uh, something positive for me. And I'm going to be a survivor and I'm going to move forward. I'm going to succeed despite these setbacks. Mm. And, uh, and so I told him that story in front of a lot of people and included my sort of adoption reunion story. Uh, and I did want to throw up the whole time. I thought I might throw up on stage. But um, the whole room was silent. You couldn't hear a pin drop. And... Afterwards, I put that video up online. It's been viewed millions of times. And I got thousands of letters from other adoptees, from um, parents who'd given up children for adoption, adopted parents, asking me for advice and telling me, thank you for sharing that story. Anyway, so it's just like confirmation that I did the right thing. Mm. Um, you don't always get the confirmation, but that was, that's usually how it comes. It's nausea. <laughs> Vulnerability resonates with people, and it sounds to me like you weren't 100% sure that you really wanted to share that story, which is the true definition of vulnerability. Otherwise, yeah. it's just a story. Yeah, it's true. And it resonates, right? Like, that's why I, I, it does. And that's, that's why there's so few people 
that can, that's why something catches fire like that. And millions of people saw that because that is not a place that people like to go. So that was super brave of you. Well, I don't know if it was brave, but I, I think you, you're right that it's an opportunity and it's, it's ironic, right? Like the things we try to avoid, uh, I, my mind thinks of metaphors a lot. So like if you've ever been fishing, you know, you catch a fish, um, it gets off the hook, it goes on the ground. And what's the first thing it does? It flaps away from any kind of help, especially if you do like a catch and release, right? Like that fish should flop right into your hands, but like it's trying its hardest to get away from you when all you want to do is cradle it, toss it back in the water and really save its life. But we're humans are like that too. Like we, we do the opposite of probably what we should all the time, you know? <laughs> that damn ego. Yeah. So I want to know now, you know, you're this uh, entrepreneur and probably you have been for a long time, but we just haven't known it. I want to know how, how did you make that transition? And like, what did you take from your professional career as an athlete and apply it? Like, what are some of those lessons that you've brought over with you to now be successful in this next chapter? Hmm. Finances. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't hurt, right? I mean, uh, capital helps. Um, but uh, freedom, um, and it bought freedom, right? Because that's another thing I think that holds a lot of people back. Yeah. Um, it's just this feeling, this um, freedom to do something where they might not make as much money or they might not make any or they might fail. Um, have, you, have you been able to save a lot of money? Like, are you a saver or are you a spender or somewhere in between? No, I'm, I save a lot of money. Yeah. Pretty, pretty frugal. I wouldn't call myself frugal, but I'm not um, uh, irresponsible with my money. What do you like to spend money on? Uh, vacations. Okay. Um, that's probably one of the big splurges that I just, you know, you don't get anything back on that other than the experience, right? So I'm paying for the experience. Yeah. Um, uh yeah, I like to buy nice gifts for people. I like to um, have like my ambiance of where I live is really important to me. So right. um, that's something that's worth whatever it takes to to get what you want. Um, yeah, I'm with you on that. Like a lot of people will wrestle me on this, that it's not worth spending, you know, 3000 or $5,000 on a bed. But it's like you spend half your life there. Yeah. Your bed should be really comfortable, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm not the kind of person that I like. I have one car. Um, like I don't need more cars because like that doesn't help me live a better quality of life. Yeah. Um, so what like, kind of car is it? I have to ask. I have a Range Rover. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think experiences are what I really spend my money on. Um, so yeah. Um, let's turn this into some tactical advice for those who want to go to the school of Danica here and maybe offer some advice. You know, a lot of people don't like to talk about failure. They'll say even stuff that failure is not an option, but mm -hmm. we all know that's bull. I mean, you have to have failure in order to have success. So talk about some of the things that maybe went wrong with your new venture in order to get it right. And then offer some advice, pro tips to people who are hoping to avo avoid the pitfalls or some of the things that, that set you back? 
I just think at the core of whatever it is that you do, if it's not something you're passionate about and love to do, it's on time. It's on, it's on a clock. Um, you're either going to get sick of it. You're going to set yourself up to be fired or fail. Um, I think that people actually get themselves fired because they want to be sometimes because they literally aren't happy. Like they self-sabotage themselves out of the job so that it makes the decision easier for them. Uh, I think that, um, so I think you really need to love what you're doing. It's like, it's kind of the essence of the vulnerability that you shared, right? It has to be so real for it to resonate, for it to be something that you want to do. So for me, um, racing was that, that thing that started me off and showed me that was that I just, I had such an unfailing love and drive to make it work that. Uh, there are tons of things along the way that should have deterred me and made it not happen. Um, but I just kept a lot of, as I called it when I was a kid, blind faith, which is just a trust essentially, and a believing that, and a belief that something is going to work out. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think then moving forward from that into the other businesses that I've started, it's really just about following your passions. So little things like, what do you do for fun? What do you take pictures of? Um, what do you like? I think one of the most valuable things that you can really do to start to create an awareness for yourself about what that answer to that is, what you do love is to spend a little time alone. Um, you know, and I'm not saying that you have to be like alone, 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 alone for a long time, but you need some alone time. You need to know, mm -hmm. you, need to, you need to have a few days in a row where you go, what am I going to do with my time? And yeah. then you're really pinched and forced to fill that time with something that you enjoy. And because um, you're going to get bored of watching TV at some point in time. So that's where I really, I feel really developed all of my passions and loves was in that sort of quiet space of being alone and having that time. Um, so some of it, some of it manifests as businesses and some of it manifests as a way to get me to a place to manifest, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. sometimes it's just about like, what do I do to reset? What do I do to, to be happy? What makes me feel good? What nourishes me? What energizes me? And so, you know, then you get good at being able to identify a feeling and you get better at identifying what gives you energy versus takes energy from you. And yeah. so once you start to understand the flow and your energy, and then you'll so much, so we started off with it. So it's only and only, only appropriate that it kind of wraps around and comes full circle, but then you're going to start to understand what those signals and signs and synchronicities are. And you're going to go, oh, 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 this yeah. is getting me here, but you don't know that until you start to um, uh, turn, turn down the noise enough. Yeah. Let me just play the other side of the coin because I can hear, you know, like the comments right now. You and I are on the same page and it's mainly because we probably have life experience. But for those maybe who don't have the life experience, the chatter that I'm hearing maybe is, well, that's easy for you to say because, you know, now you got money in the bank and you have some degree of success and that's easier said than done. But what do you say? How do you weigh in on like how long do you grind this out? Do you gut it out? Maybe you don't have passion for this thing, but like, 
maybe you have a goal to stick some money aside and then you can buy your winery or your race car or whatever your dream is. Like how long do you got it out before you lose your soul <laughs> and all is lost? Or before you feel overwhelmed by the burden of not being able to provide or make it uh, materialize for you. Yeah. Um, because starving artist is a term for a reason. Yeah, like, yeah, I think that, so if you're doing something that you truly love, this really comes about around to what makes you happy. What is happiness to you? Because if happiness is making money, well, then you got a plan. You got to come up with a plan for that. But I'm going to bet that if you really were to answer the question, what makes me happy? It's probably not going to be money. And so that's not true happiness. If all you have is money the rest of your life, then and no friends and no joy and no depth and no deep relationships and no experiences, then it's, you know, that's, I don't think anyone really wants that life. And so, <clears throat> so you have to just find that thing that you love. And so then at a bare minimum, you at least just like what you're doing. You might yeah. not make a ton of money, but here's the magic. If you can just find your way and just slip through the crack where the magic is, is that, if you do actually love something enough, you have all the momentum you need and all the intention and all of the energy and all of the positivity and all of the belief and the visualization to make it happen. So the challenge is finding that to me, that's the real challenge is what is that? Because if you really love something enough, then you create an unfailing drive to make it happen. And you know, one of the things that I think that has differentiated me, especially in racing in the very beginning is when they got tough, I tried harder. This is actually kind of generally life for me. Tough gets harder. When it gets tough again, try harder. When it gets tough again, I try even harder. And you're weeding people out as you go. The tough times don't last, tough people do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that was super evident. I mean, you told me that story now firsthand. I mean, I witnessed it. I can almost feel it as I was watching you on TV that you were being squeezed and there's a lot of pressure on you. If I could add a little bit to that advice and even answer my own question, I would say, I think you're spot on with the finding what you love to do, but I would add that it's about proximity. So yeah, you're not going to be um, champion race car driver, Danica Patrick, right out of the gate, but guess what? You could, you could be, the person that fills her tires or um, shines her shoes or gets her coffee or, and you can be in proximity of Danica and it gets you a little bit closer to your dream. If you want to be a race car driver, or if you want to be, you know, have a vineyard, you know, you could go work in a restaurant and, you know, file the corks and, and uh, clean the bottles and start at the bottom, but get in proximity of either the people or the kinds of work that you want to do and then it's amazing how, if you're actually good, really good things happen, no? I think that that is a, an excellent way to um, expand on what makes it possible. Um, starting with that belief and then having the bravery to follow it. And yeah proximity i think that's i think that's really good i don't i don't even need to ramble that's that's a great way to uh that's a great way to make it manifest faster 
And I would just say to anyone who's, who's struggling with the fear of it, you know, you just have to go and you have to try. Like so many people will say, oh, you know, I could, I can never do that. Whether it's because of pride, like I'm not going to fill her tires up with air. You know, I want to be the champion out of the gate. It's like, you know, we all have to start somewhere and not all of us have dads who are professional race car you know, drivers. Some of us, you know, you got to start from scratch. And so I think it's okay to, to, you know, start from scratch, but like, you know, if you're talented, the, the cream does rise and you get opportunities when you're in the right place. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, again, it's the love of something that holds you through the one, two, three, five, 10, 15 years it takes to make something successful. Um, because if it, if your goal is money, then there's probably going to be some point in time in those one, two, three, five, 10, 15 mm-hmm. years that you're going to quit because you didn't, you didn't find it. I have two final questions. Are you okay? Okay. I want to know the hardest thing you've ever done and what you consider your greatest accomplishment to date. Um, Hardest thing I've ever done. Probably learning learning more about myself and like getting more confident in myself aside from work stuff, more personal stuff. So self-love, you know, being able to be alone, scrapping that codependent crap. (laughs) That's work. Like that's emotional work. Mm -hmm. Um, And then what was your other question? What do you consider your greatest accomplishment? What are you really proud of that you've done? That I've stayed me. I think that most people, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm repeating what people say about me, but you know, I don't think there's anyone that, I mean, like I still am in contact with people that I went to high school with. And so I would imagine, you know, because I've heard it from them that they could tell you like, yeah, she's just the same as she used to be. In fact, I, I just not long ago was hanging out with a girl that I went to preschool with. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that just not letting money or, pride or fame or any of that crap that, you know, can kind of twist things, um, change me. And so I'm curious now how you see yourself. Um, I mean, it sounds like from our discussion that you're multifaceted, you have a lot of talents and interests, passions, but now you're heading full force into this sort of wine business. Is that your, your sole focus or you have, other things that you are dreaming about or, or working on that we don't know about? Um, the most current projects are, are the wine for sure. So between Somnium and then Danica Rose and um, then my podcast. I mean, those are the main, those are the main things. I have a few, I have a few partners um, that, uh, that I really believe in that um, I help promote and um, get the word out about. Mm-hmm. But podcast which is really the expansive part of me about learning and i just truly love learning from people uh and then uh and then where where can people find that podcast if they're searching for it anywhere it's called the pretty intense podcast and um you can just search my name and you'll find it too um so anywhere you listen to podcasts you can find it 
and then the wine. So the wine keeps me busy with whether it be interviews or um, working on the blend and tasting or going to events. Um, so um, those those are the things that those are the things that keep me really busy. And the rest of it is honestly, it's just the self care stuff that gives me, like I said earlier, gives me the capacity and the space and the drive and the interest and the love passion to address those things in a wholehearted way. Um, like walking my dogs and working out and enjoying a cup of coffee outside and mm -hmm. trips with my friends or myself and reading books and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos, all that stuff is like sort of the inner cultivation that then allows me to um, externalize in, in the ways that I explain. It's so smart. You know, a lot of us are into physical fitness. We go to the gym, we work out, whatever. Not a lot of us are probably focused on mental fitness. And that's kind of what you're talking about. Yeah. I, I think at the core of everything, I mean, I think the best thing, if you're at all interested in sort of the, the stuff that we were talking about here today, um, I interviewed Joe Dispenza. Um, and so there's two episodes because um, it was so juicy all the information that um that i split it into two episodes but you know it's all about neuroplasticity and and retraining your brain and um you know i just got done reading his breaking the habit of being yourself um book so yeah um if you're interested because we've got to reprogram those cells somehow and we do it through um we do it through quiet calm meditation and repetition yeah. Well, I'm, I'm personally impressed. Uh, I'm not just saying that because we're talking, but you know, a lot of people will probably be surprised that you can, you can be, um, the charger, you know, the aggressive cutthroat racer competitor, um, that you are, and also be an empath and a good listener and, you know, discover yourself and, you know, do these other amazing things so i wish you nothing but success thanks so much for being with us and uh i guess this is a pretty good place to cut